You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, your daily look at the Cleveland Cavaliers from the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily local sports podcast network. I'm Chris Manning, your host and the site manager over at FearTheSword.com, SB Nation's Cleveland Cavaliers site. If you aren't already, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. A five-star review is the best way to support the show, and you can also find the show on the new Himalaya podcast app. Be sure to find me on Twitter and Facebook as well at CWM Writes. On today's show, I'm going to get into the Cavs' loss to the Milwaukee Bucks from Sunday afternoon-ish in Milwaukee, where the Cavs lost 127-105. to This was a game the Cavs never let in, and they trailed by as many as 22 points in the loss, although it wasn't as much of a blowout as some of the other games of that ended up at that margin that we've seen this season. The big story of the game, and it's one that's not particularly a surprise, is that the Cavs really had no success guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, they tried a variety of things. None of them really worked. This was a big, big, different-looking game than what we saw the other day when the Cavs hosted the Milwaukee Bucks at Quicklands Arena and did win the game. To start with the good from the game in our first segment, the Kevin Love, I think, made the most of a bad night for him overall. 8-21 for him isn't a good night. It's a bit below average. He didn't get a lot of easy shots, but I thought he was one of the more positive pieces of this game. Kevin Love used some good ball fakes to get open for threes. It's, it's kind of his go-to move now when he's setting up um, in, uh, in, a, in a stance on the, on the wing, and he usually fakes one way and, or, and takes a dribble, fires up a three. That's kind of his go-to move from the situation, and it worked a bunch for him in this game, at least in terms of getting open shots. He was very good on the boards, 14 on the defensive end, 5 on the um, offensive end. Had he played the last few minutes of the game after they pulled him out, he may have been the first Cav to pick up a 2020 game since 2012 when Anderson Verjao did it. And I thought Kevin Love in particular did a great job and was probably the most impressive thing anyone did in this game of trying to initiate the offense by looking at the floor. Now, the Cavs are are not a good offense. They are uh, playing above their standard. They were not good in this game necessarily. But I thought this was as aggressive as I seen Kevin Love looking up the floor after getting rebounds and trying to find X player that was streaking up the side of the ring and could give the Cavs an advantage against Milwaukee's defense. You know, this didn't result in easy baskets all the time. This did not result in something that that worked all the time, but I thought it was just good work by Love to at least look up the floor and to kind of see if he could get some things going in the right direction for the Cavs and and help get the Cavs ahead of a Milwaukee defense that once it's settled is very, very good and is very long and is, and is smart and does just kind of everything well in the regard. So I think kudos big time to, to Kevin Love for doing that, and that to me was at least for, for me on a night that wasn't all that good, he was doing positive things like that and just kind of kind of overall being Kevin Love. And, and I do wonder what this game would have looked like had he not played in it. I would say this was overall a rough night for Colin Sexton. Um, I didn't love his performance. 
but I did like that he got to the line six times. That's a slightly less than double his average on the season coming into this game. For him to repeatedly drive, for him to get into lane and draw contact and force the force the Bucks to foul him instead of you know maybe blocking a shot or, or doing something else, I think that's a good thing for 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 Colin Sexton. He's got he's got to be a guy that I think gets to the line if he is going to be the best version of himself. I think the the best version of Colin Sexton is a player that does get to the free throw line a decent amount. Um, it's not something he does particularly well yet. It's not a skill he's developed yet, but it, it's getting there. He, I'd, I'd have to check the numbers in detail, but I think it's something he's done better of late. And I think this was a game where you saw him not just aimlessly driving into bodies and into the trees, but actually making an effort to draw contact. I think that's that's a really positive thing. For the second game in a row, I also liked what Larry Nance Jr. did overall. Um, he had an assist percentage of 30, which was good and led the team. And that was the on this team's sixth high usage rate. So he wasn't even being used on a ton of possessions, but he was a guy that was at least initiating the offense and moving the ball smartly and finding guys in good spots. That's, that's a good sign. He, so far, and for, for the whole year, I think has been a big part of the second unit and the second unit having any success moving the ball. Um, I think this is especially true when we've seen Matthew Delavadova out and, and he's not sharing the floor with Brandon Knight and it's like him and Jordan Clark is in and, and other guys who don't move the ball all that well. And I also would say, aside from the three fouls he picked up on Giannis Antetokounmpo in the third quarter, I think Larry Nance did about as well as you could have hoped in defending Giannis. Um, I think out of the three guys who took the vast majority of the possessions in that regard. So that would be um, Larry Nance Jr., Tristan Thompson, David Nawaba. I thought he did the best job. He certainly, you know, sagged a bunch and gave him some space. He he did sort of what you would expect him to sort of do, but I thought he did the, the best job of at least using his length and actually had a couple possessions where he did about as well of a job as I've seen any Cav do this season, which isn't saying a ton, but is at least something. I also like that Lance pretty willingly took threes. He took six in this one. Uh, certainly the Bucks were giving him those, and he only made two, but that's a shot he's more comfortable taking. In the past, we've seen him take one, and that would sort of be the max he would be comfortable taking, but he he did at least take them and, and kind of look at those opportunities as what they are, which are good opportunities. He rebounded well, had played well, was active on defense, had the three steals. Not So, you know, is that a perfect Larry Nance Jr. game? No, but... I thought it was a pretty good Larry Nance Jr. game. And look, this was not a, a perfect Jordan Clarkson game either, but I liked that he got the line five times. He had uh, more than double his 2.3 attempts per game on the season in this one. And he was very diligent, I thought, of attacking inside and at least being a little bit slower instead of not doing his quick pull-up threes or any other types of Jordan Clarkson-y nonsense. He broke out his good floater on certain occasions, which I liked. I also liked the the play, I believe it was in the second quarter, where he drove around. He got under the hoop and, and had a reverse layup that was kind of funky looking, but was at least productive. That's some good Jordan Clarkson stuff. I liked how Tristan Thompson looked in this game, too. Had two nice drives and scored and moved a bit better than he did the other night. You can look at him getting scored on on switches by um, George Hill. That isn't... Uh, that isn't a good thing as not a good thing and that he slipped a little bit and and whatnot but he was active had some good offensive rebounds made five of his eight shots had those two drives so n overall not a bad night for thompson and i like that he's wearing the headband still that's cool and lastly not a, a bad david nawaba game either um this was at least for him a good work on the offensive end he passed well he had in one instance had a really nice assist where he found a cutting tristan thompson by driving and then having two defenders kind of collapse on him 
And he shot one when he had his good arc on a shot. So overall, um, I like Nawaba. I like what he provides. When he's playing sort of within himself, he can be at least a useful-ish offensive player. Uh, we'll be, we're going to take a quick break. You're going to hear from what Larry Drew had to say in this game uh, about what it was like to play Milwaukee. And, and remember, to get the show every day, subscribe to Locked on Cavs on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with our personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download the Himalaya app in your app store and subscribe to Lockdown Cabs. We'll be right back. you wanted your front court players to accept the challenge on the inside do you feel like they did a good job tonight uh, for the most part they did they for the most part they did um i mean they they came out and uh, they, they, they got hot early uh first quarter um i think they made the first five threes that they took if i'm not mistaken but um you know they 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 made shots we didn't uh, early. Uh, we got ourselves behind, and, and you know, we were just trying to dig ourselves out, out of the hole. I thought we put together a couple of good runs, but just uh, we just didn't play well enough on the road to, to come up with anything else. Okay, now we'll get into the bad from Cavs Bucks after you heard from Larry Drew. Let's start with how the Cavs defended Giannis on Tecumpo. So matchup stats from NBA.com are not up yet as I recorded this, but the Cavs didn't do well with Giannis. So Giannis finished 11 of 16 from the field, and I thought most notably he was 11 of 13 on two-point attempts. The Cavs, like a lot of other teams, pulled their guy way back, gave Giannis a bunch of space. Giannis took some threes, a lot of them just sort of just to take them, I guess, because like you're up by 15, so why not? But even with how the Cavs doing that, Giannis was able to get into the lane. He was able to get a bunch of easy looks and just crush how the Cavs defended him. This was the Cavs basically from the start, inserting Larry Nance Jr. ahead of Ante Zizic. We'll get to him later. Into the starting lineup with Kevin Love, sticking Larry Nance Jr. onto Giannis, and then having Tristan Thompson be the second guy with David Nawaba getting some shots as well. And a, and a bit of zone uh, played against Giannis, but mostly man-to-man defense. For the Cavs, it also did not help that oftentimes they just really didn't have good support for whomever was on Giannis. So if, let's say, it was Larry Nance Jr. and Larry Nance Jr. stayed with him body and body, stayed pretty close to him as Giannis backed him down, you saw Giannis spin and get past Nance, but there was no one there to, to meet him in the room or and at least follow him and make him go to the free throw line, which is a better outcome than him getting to dunks or getting easy points, excuse me, or like getting a dunk and a foul. Like, foul him hard, protect it, keep him from getting that easy shot at the rim. You just kind of got to be there, and there was not that that extra layer there in place. Um, Tristan and Nance were the primary guys, which, I, if, and thinking about it, I think does make sense based on the size. I thought both those guys at least have, they might, I don't know who's actually the strongest out of those two guys. I would guess Tristan. But at least Nance is a bit longer, at least like plays a little bit longer, I think, than Tristan does. Nawaba also is, is, might have the strength, but just too short to do that over and over again. But I thought you saw all of them were just helpless in their in their own way, whether it was the speed differential, whether it was the length, whether it was the power of Giannis. Just nothing the Cavs could really do, and they didn't help themselves. I think you also just saw when the Bucks did get switches, and it was like Jetty Osmond defending Giannis in the post. You saw the, the issues there when... Jetty just fouled him and like just did whatever he could to keep 
Giannis from shooting. The Cavs were just helpless against Giannis. And when you, again, you saw just him inserting himself into that game and playing how he plays and playing at that MVP level, it basically meant the Cavs were just like not going to be in a position to probably win this game. And it shows you that that Wednesday's game, the, that win against the Bucks, was really more about him not being there. And the Cavs also playing really well. But just the impact Giannis has really just dictates the, the, the big gap between these teams and shows you why the Bucks are so good. And look, on the defensive end, Giannis protecting the rim really did limit the Cavs' driving opportunities. And he blocked shots and was contesting shots and covered just a ton of space. His impact was just the shaping factor of this game. And that that's a sign that he's the best player in the East, maybe the best player in the league right now. He's freaking incredible. So a couple Colin Sexton-y things in this game that I don't think are good. Um, for number one, I thought he had some instances where he rushed into the lane, got among the trees a little bit too much. He had some iffy floater choices. It's his one real thing where he gets into lane one-on-one versus the big who has dropped back. He's going to have to find other ways to think score or draw fouls there because that that's a tough shot for him to make over and over and over again. If he can make it at a high clip, great, but that he's going to need some variance, I think, there. And a 4% assist percentage for him is just not going to cut it. Um, for him having the fourth highest usage on the team, but only assisting on 4% of the team's makes is just not great. You can live with him in the right circumstances for at least the short term. Him having like a 15% assist percentage or, you know, 18% or something in that teens range, which is a bit low for a point guard, a bit low for some of the guys we've seen him kind of compared to. Um, if you saw my tweet about it from a couple days ago, his assist percentage is more comparable to like a rookie Amon Shumpert or rookie Marcus Smart than it is De'Aaron Fox or X point guard that you want to compare him to. Colin Sexton really, really, really does look for scoring and driving opportunities for himself before he looks for other stuff. He had some good pass in this game. Um, he had some moments where I think he he does, you know, not shoot when he might have a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, but I just think with him, he's got to develop that secondary vision or at least get better at, at not just saying, okay, I'm going to get into the lane and throw up a shot. Like, he has to think about the context of sort of what's going on around him right now. Um, again, if he's going to have the fourth highest usage, he's going to have to have a higher assist rate than 4%. Um, that's just, you know, I don't I don't want to buy into traditional position dynamics and say he has to lead the team in assists every night or something. Like, I think that's a broken mechanism, but I do think he has to be more of a distributor and creative for others if he's going to hit his ceiling. Even if the Cavs, like, install an offensive system next year that, you know, plays into Love's passing and Jetty's passing, and maybe they take good passers in the draft or sign good passers or something, and then whoever the new coach is comes in and installs in, um, you know, a pass-heavy system in a more, like, open, flowy system, he's going to have to do better than what he's doing right now. That's just a fact. Jetty Osmond's three-point struggles remain a problem as well. 0 of 5 in this game, 3 of 13 in his last three his looks aren't bad, but I think his form and his body control aren't great. Maybe just a little bit off. Maybe just a feeling a little bit rushed. For context, Jetty came into the season at 35.9%. He's really struggled the last couple games, I think, with good defenders on him. Middleton, two out of the last three games, and then Patrick Beverly on Friday. So that, that certainly plays into this too. But Jetty's in a bit of an offensive slump. Had some good drives in this game. Had some good passes in this game. Certainly ran the floor well, especially when he's connecting with Kevin Love on those outlet passes. But that three-point shot, it just isn't falling for him right now for whatever reason it is. 
The offense overall um, was bad. 105 offensive rating is below the 110-ish number it's been at for a lot of March. The team had an effective field goal percentage of under 50%. That's not good. And I think most concerningly, playing into what the Bucks do on defense, the Cavs only shot 56% at the rim, and they only took 15% of their shots there. That's no easy looks. That's not shooting well on the easy looks you did get and not any easy looks. This is how the Bucks defend. The Cavs took a bunch of threes, um, took 41 three-pointers. That's what the Bucks do. They only made 11 of them. That's also what the Bucks do. Their defense is, is wickedly weird and, and kind of interesting. But the Cavs took a lot of mid-range shots, which is a, an old bad habit that didn't really, like, doesn't help them be efficient. Um, but certainly they made a bunch of them. It just doesn't make you that good of an offense just no easy looks, not taking advantage of those easy looks. And conversely, the Bucks shot 100% at the rim in the first half and finished 78.6% at the rim for the game. That's just, that. That's a, you can say Giannis is the game, you could say other things are the game. That may be the one thing that really decided this game more than anything else. That's really, really bad defense inside. That's just, that's like a, con, a conveyor belt of easy buckets for, for Milwaukee, which they don't even really need it. And to add a little more salt to the wound, the Cavs had an offensive rating of 86 in the half court in this game. According to Cleaning the Glass, that's even worse than their 90, roughly, offensive rating in the half court for the year. The Bucks was at 131. Those are worldly different numbers and tell you basically the Bucks were just like significantly better. Um, also, no Brandon Knight in this game in terms of him showing up and having a good performance. One of seven from the field, missed all of his threes. He's been, I think, useful as a as a scoring off guard and, and dribble penetrating, hitting floaters, making catch and shoot threes. He got some looks in this game, but the Bucks defended him well, and he did show up, and that certainly, I think, limited some of the things the Cavs are trying to do with that starting lineup. No Ante Zizic in this game, um, which I get, and I'm, I'm a defender of Ante. I believe he can be a useful NBA player. I don't think he's a guy you should completely write off by any means, but for him to go from starting and maybe it's matchup dependent um, to not playing at all, that doesn't really send a good look about sort of what his feel is or what the team maybe feels he's at right now as a center. Um, you could at least find him minutes. And like Marquise Chris and Nick Stauskas played ahead of him. Certainly those guys are more modern, move a little bit better and whatnot, but interesting that he did not play after being part of a starting lineup that has played well of late. And I get it tactically, but you couldn't bring him off the bench or, or whatnot. That, that's interesting. Um, the Cavs also lastly allowed 56 points in the paint. That's no good work being done protecting the rim. Not surprising considering Giannis in particular was just feasting there and the Bucks got a lot of clean looks at the rim. Free throw rate lastly also did kill the Cavs. No free throws for Kevin Love is in particularly a bit weird. The Bucks really did do a good job of not giving Love a lot of easy looks or mismatches on spots on the floor where he could implement himself. Giannis defended him, at least started that way, um, and in one-on-one matchups, and that certainly impacts that as well. But no free throws, but only Sexton and Clarkson getting there. That That's, a, I think, a reason the Cavs have been successful late and maybe had some scoring opportunities they might not have otherwise, is the, the issues with them and their free throws. We're going to take a quick break. You're going to hear from Kevin Love on the Bucks from his post-game media session. And remember to subscri- subscribe to Locked on Cavaliers today. Find that wherever you get podcasts. And if you want to contact the pod, LockedOnCavs at gmail.com, LockedOnCavs on Twitter, or shoot us a message in the Google Voice on our Google Voice mailbox. 
uh, which you can find the number in the show notes below. And also, again, download the Himalaya app in your app store and subscribe to Locked on Gabs. We'll be right back. survey the top of the east landscape what makes these guys so difficult to guard and of course the score against i think it's uh, it all starts with the head of snake and Giannis. um you know they put so much pressure on your defense and you try to collapse and you know they they have the uh the personnel to um you know light you up because they have shooters all around them all the way two through five so um they're a very tough team to guard uh, they're also a, a very long team on the defensive end I think that makes them tough to score on as well. So they have all the pieces to uh, uh, be the best team in the East, and you know they're showing that uh, this year, especially towards the end of the season. You guys uh, actually won the battle of the glass against a good rebounding team. Uh, what helped you in that room? Uh, just a pursuit, I think. Um, I was just forcing them into some tough shots around the glass, but they just keep they just keep coming at you. I mean, I think that that's their that's their strength. Uh, when you have a guy like Giannis who plays downhill and, and uh, demands so much attention with the ball in his hands that that tends to happen. But yeah, we did a good job on the glass tonight. We just couldn't get over the hump against them, but that's a very good team down there. We are back. Okay, there you heard from one Kevin Love about the Bucks and Giannis and what makes that team so, so good. To keep talking about Kevin Love, he is going to be the player of the game in the section. Again, player of the game, stat of the game, play of the game, and then we'll look at what's next for the Cavs in the next couple games in this week. The player of the game, again, is Kevin Love. Even on a night where Love was not the best Kevin Love we've seen, or peak Kevin Love, or the best version of him we've seen on this kind of weird Cavs roster, we saw Love get some decent looks and really work to implement himself in a way that he needed to. Um, He was the major, I think, reason why the team was at least able to push the ball and have some success in getting the ball to the floor, even if it was semi-fleeting and it wasn't something that really changed the direction of the game. I can't really even imagine how bad this might have been if he did not play, if he wasn't the guy really initiating the offense and doing some stuff to to loosen up the Bucks' defense. I would honestly probably like the Cavs to try to force-feed him the ball some more in spots, particularly if they could run some action where it's him and, and Colin Sexton to get Sexton some reps running pick and rolls and pick and pops and whatnot. I don't think they ran one love Sexton pick and pop in this game, but I also get why they don't do that. Um, they use love a lot as a spacer to create room for others, including Colin Sexton, but I think there's some balance you could find there. If we're looking at a runner-up, I think Larry Nance Jr. would be my second favorite performance in this game. So this my stat of the game is 56%, and that's the number the Cavs shot at the rim. For the year, the Cavs are not good at shooting at the rim. They are 59% at the rim this year. That's 28th in the league. But this is, again, below that normal mark, and that's even a lower frequency than normal. When you're not taking a lot of shots at the rim, you're not doing yourself a favor and getting easy looks. It typically leads to more mid-range shots. The Bucks, in particular force you into bad mid-range shots, and the Cavs are very happily to oblige with that. This is just a bad look. It hinders the offense from the inside out. Yes, the team took a bunch of threes. 41 threes is a lot of threes. I am pro taking threes, especially if you can make them. They're worth more points. They're analytically friendly, et cetera, et cetera. But this plays into the hands of the Bucks defense. They let t- t- teams take threes on purpose. They're the threes they want you to take. And the Cavs had no real counter to that. And their inability to get to the rim highlights that in perfect 
reality it tells you how much they were really having an issue getting any sort of real offense against this Milwaukee Bucks team. They love the mid-range shots too. They have players that are inclined to take those shots. So this just plays into their into the Bucks' hands, even if that um, is something that resulted in them making a decent amount of those mid-range shots. But 56% at the rim at such a low frequency, 15% of a total shots is killer for you having at all of a good offense, especially when like Kevin Love and certain guys are not getting the kind of shots at the rim you're used to them getting. My play of the game is Kevin Love's outlet, pat, outlet pass to Jetty Osmond in the first quarter. This was everything you would want to see from, from Love initiating the offense. He gets the rebound. He immediately looks up the floor, and the ball is like loaded and cocked and ready for him to go. He flicks it to Osmond and stride, hits him right where Osmond can just get to the rim cleanly. He, he Osmond's really good at this. It's one of the things I love about him is that he always is sort of pushing up the floor. He's always looking up the floor. And it's a tool the Cavs have to use. It's it's Kevin Love at his best. It's the probably the best version of the Cavs offense is when they're pushing and getting a defense on its heels and allowing some other guys to just make plays. They don't really have a, a scheme or plays or anything that really gets the gets easy buckets or yields good shots. So they have to kind of do stuff like this. And Kevin Love is the best catalyst for this. So more of that. And this was an example of how the Cavs were actually able to get a shot at the rim, and put the Bucks defense on its heels. So more Kevin Lavalla passes is something I am all the way in favor of. My runner-up would be Tristan Thompson driving from the three-point line and scoring. Um, that's something he's gotten better at. I, I'm always surprised sort of when he makes those shots, but I am pro him making them, and Tristan Thompson looking better is a, is a good thing for the Cavs overall. And perhaps he is feeling a bit better. So what's next for the Cavs? On Tuesday, you get the Boston Celtics at home. We'll be talking to Tom Westerholm on Tuesday's podcast to talk about that. And then they get the Spurs on Thursday, the Clippers again on Saturday. But as they go on this West Coast road trip, that will take them to L.A., Phoenix, Sacramento, and Golden State before they come home for two home games to finish the season against San Antonio and against Charlotte. For me, the game I'm looking most forward to this week is probably the Boston game. I don't know if Kyrie is going to play at this point. I hope he does. I really just kind of want to see him play in the queue for the first time this year. He has not done that yet due to injury and rest and stuff, but I would really like to see him do that. Um, and the Clippers game could be also fun considering how Friday's went. We could see how that plays out versus on the road versus how it played out at Quicklands Arena. But Circle Tuesday on your calendar, I will be there. I'm getting to cover that game in person. It's one of the last three home games of the season as we get into this final chunk of the season. Only eight games left. That is sort of remarkable that there's that much time before we get into draft prep and season review and watching the playoffs and not getting to cover the playoffs. So that that's coming, but um, it's been an interesting ride, and perhaps the Cavs will finish out on a high note. As we do record this to, to talk about the draft quickly, uh, the Cavs did losing is good for them right now. They're still two games up on the Chicago Bulls for the third worst record in the league. As we recorded this, none of the other tanking teams are active. So the Cavs are two games back of the Suns, five games back of the Knicks. So they're not going to be the worst team in the league. The Knicks kind of seem like they have that locked up. And Chicago is, again, in fourth with Atlanta, a distant fifth. The 538 model does have the Cavs in a position to likely be the third worst team in the league. So that, if you're worried about them keeping those top four odds, that is a good thing for the Cavs to be in, at least. Uh, the loss, again, does them some favors. And if they want to get RJ Barrett or, or John Moran or maybe even get Zion, 
losing, even if it's not the most fun thing to realize in person, can be something that yields them some fun down the road. So that is going to be it for today's show. Um, we'll be back tomorrow with a look at Cavs Celtics with Tom Westerholm from Mass Live and talk a little bit about Jetty's three-point shooting a bit more. If you have questions you want to answer the next mailbag, again, submit them to Cavs on Twitter or to LockedOnCavs at gmail.com or to the Google Voice number that you can find in the show notes. A five-star review on Apple Podcasts does guarantee that your question gets answered. Um, and remember, you can find Locked on Cavs on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, the new Himalaya podcast app, Megaphone, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And when you get in your car, please tell your smart device to play Locked on Cavs. It'll play, and you'll be on your way to work listening to my podcast about the Cavs. At Fear the Sword, check out Justin Rohn's 2 for 1, check out Cup of Cavs, and everything else we have going up over there. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Locked on Cavaliers for Monday, March 24th. I'm Chris Manning. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at CWMRIT. Talk to you again soon. Cheers.